Um, then the heads of the fathers' houses of the Levites came to Eleazar the priest and to Joshua the son of Nun and to the heads of the fathers' houses of the tribes of the people of Israel. And they said to them at Shiloh in the land of Canaan, the Lord commanded through Moses that we be given cities to dwell in along with their pasture lands for our livestock. So by command of the Lord, the people of Israel gave to the Levites the following cities and pasture lands out of their inheritance. The lot came out for the clans of the Kohathites. So those Levites who were descendants of Aaron the priest received by lot from the tribes of Judah, Simeon, and Benjamin 13 cities. And the rest of the Kohathites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Ephraim, from the tribe of Dan, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, ten cities. The Girgashites received by lot from the clans of the tribe of Issachar, from the tribe of Asher, from the tribe of Naphtali, and from the half-tribe of Manasseh and Bashan, thirteen cities. The Merarites, according to their clans, received from the tribe of Reuben, the tribe of Gad, and the tribe of Zebulun, twelve cities. These cities and their pasture lands the people of Israel gave by lot to the Levites, as the Lord had commanded through Moses. The cities of the Levites in the midst of the possession of the people of Israel were in all 48 cities with their pasture lands. These cities each had its pasture lands around it. So it was with all these cities. Thus the Lord gave to Israel all the land that he swore to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they settled there. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, just as he had sworn to their fathers. Not one of all their enemies had withstood them, for the Lord had given all their enemies into their hands. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. This is the word of the Lord. Let us go to the Lord in prayer. Pray with me. Father, be with us as we hear your word. Transform us. This is our desire. May we experience your presence. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So all the land has been given out. If you've been following us in the book of Joshua, this is the pinnacle of Joshua. Everything has finally been given out, starting with Joshua chapter 14, when Caleb approached Joshua and asked, please give us our land. And starting with him, every single tribe received everything that they were promised. And it ends in chapter 19 with them saying, so they finished dividing the land. And if you read Joshua chapter 14, verse 19, you realize this, that 11 tribes received everything that they had been promised. But the problem is, there are 12 tribes. So one tribe did not receive a portion or any part of the land. And you may be thinking to yourself, is this an aberration? Was there a mistake? But if you've been with us long enough, you know there are no mistakes. That this was done by design and God had a plan for it. And so at these moments, we don't ask, what is God doing? We ask, what is God revealing? God, what do you want us to learn from you not giving one tribe a piece of land? That should be the question that comes to our mind. God, what is your will? What is your character? What is happening at this point? Now, the most obvious point is, um, as the author has alluded to, is that he wanted to show everyone that God fulfills his promise. 
that everything God had promised came to be. So then the question is, what is the purpose of leaving one tribe out altogether? And as we dig just a little bit into this text, we will see that God had a plan. And rather that he was actually setting up not just the Israelite kingdom, but he was signaling to those who would believe in Jesus Christ what the future kingdom of God would look like. This is important. It is not a mistake, for God had a plan for these Levites, and he had a plan to show something to the rest of the world. So we are going to dig in a little bit more, not just necessarily with the allotment of the land, but we are going to look at the tribe of Levites and see how they function within Israel, and hopefully we'll see why chapter 21 is not simply a waste of space, but does reveal something about who God is. So, first, who are the Levites and how come they don't get any land? And that's a fair question. And this question is actually answered in Genesis chapter 49. Now, if you're with us about a month ago, I alluded to Genesis chapter 49 when I was talking about Judah. Remember, Judah was the fourth child and he received this big plot of land. And we asked, why does Judah receive that land? And I went back to um, Genesis chapter 49, and we saw that Jacob, who is also known as Israel, had prophesied, had blessed Jacob to have the largest portion of land in the promised land. In that same chapter, Jacob, also known as Israel, cursed Levi and said, you won't get any land. And so it's worth revisiting and seeing what Israel said to Levi. So Genesis chapter 49, verse 5, this is what is said. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O oh, my glory, be not joined to their company. For in their anger they killed me, and in the willfulness they hamstrung oxen. Curse by their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So already in Genesis chapter 49, Israel said, you are not getting any land. I will scatter you across the nation. Then we should ask ourselves, why, what did Simeon and Levi do to warrant such a curse from their father? Well, that's also explained in Genesis chapter 34, a couple more chapters back. And what we see is the story of Dinah. Now, who is Dinah? Dinah is the forgotten daughter of the 12 tribes of Israel. It's Simeon and Levi's sister. And in chapter 34, Dinah goes out, apart from the family, and she runs into a man who, unfortunately, defiles her. And as she's defiled, this is made known to the family. And Jacob, his response is kind of appalling. But what, but Jake, what Jacob wants to do is, hey, let's, let's hide this. Let's make sure that no one hears about it. Let's just keep it calm because I don't want to start a war. And in an interesting turn of events, this person who had defiled Dinah began to fall in love with Dinah and so wanted to marry Dinah. So this person, who was the prince of Shechem, came to the tribe of Israel and said, we want to have an allegiance, for I love your daughter. And Jacob says, this sounds like a great idea. Let's do it. Now, Simeon and Levi thought this was a horrible idea. 
said, there, has no, there was no justice. What are you going to do? Are you just going to allow this person to treat our sister like a prostitute? And so what Simeon and Levi do is they devise a plan. They hear Jacob wanting to have a peace treaty. And what they do is they suggest to their fathers, make them all become like us, Israelites. Circumcise all of them. And when they're circumcised, then they'll be part of us. But Simeon and Levi had other plans. For on the day that all the men of Shechem got circumcised, they went into the city and killed all the men of the town. They destroyed the town, obliterated it. That was Simeon and Levi. So after many years, Jacob never forgot what Simeon and Levi do, and he cursed them. And he said, you will not have a piece of the inheritance of the land. That's why already we see that they were never promised any sort of land as they entered into the promised land. It's fascinating. But as time passed and as the exodus happens, as Moses is delivering the Israelites out of slavery, and as they're in the wilderness, God makes a new revelation to the people. And he says, I understand that the Levites have no land. And the Levites, they can't get excited for the promised land because they're not going to get any. I mean, they're happy for their brothers. They're happy for Judah. Man, I'm glad you're going to get all this land. I'm, gonna, I'm glad, but, you know, we're not going to get anything. And they're like, yeah, I'm sorry. And, you know, they're talking back and forth, and then all of a sudden, the Lord comes down, and he says, I have a plan for Levi. And that plan is revealed in Numbers chapter 3, in the wilderness. And let me read that for you. Chapter 3, verse 11, this is what God says. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel, instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine, for all the firstborn are mine. On the day that I struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, I consecrated for my own all the firstborn in Israel, both of man and of beast. They shall be mine. I am the Lord. So what the Lord declares to all of Israel is that the Levites are going to be set apart for his special purpose. And what is the special purpose? The Levites will be the payment for the firstborn. Now, for some of you, you might th you you'll be thinking, what? What does it mean to be the payment for the firstborn? So we have to go a little bit back. Joshua 21 is not an easy chapter. There's a lot of background information that we need. In Exodus chapter 13, that is a momentous occasion because that is when Moses is about to split the Red Sea and that's when Israel is about to cross. That's when they're about to get their freedom. As before Moses splits the Red Sea, he turns to the people of Israel and he gives them one last charge. He says, remember this, Israel. Remember this is what God has said. And this is what he says in chapter 13, verse 11. When the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, that is the promised land, as he swore to you and your fathers, and shall give it to you, you shall set apart to the Lord all that first opens the womb. All the firstborn of your animals that are males shall be the Lord's. Meaning this, if you remember the ten plagues, the final plague that made Pharaoh free the Israelites was the death of the firstborn. 
God wanted to show his people that the sacrifice required for freedom was the death of the firstborn. And that applied to the Israelites as well, not just the Egyptians. For what did the Israelites have to do? They had to sacrifice a lamb, put the blood on their doorpost, and the angel of death passed over them. That's what happened in the history of Israel. And for God, he wanted the people to remind them that this is what the Lord has done, and he wants to remind them that this is something that they have to keep in their memory forever. So what does he do? So for the Israelites, any animal that they owned, they had to give it to God. So if they're farming and they have an animal or cattle or goat or anything, every firstborn male was given to God as a payment. Any firstborn child that a family had had to pay God for that firstborn child. This is all to remind all the Israelites that God had redeemed the firstborn. That's it. So anytime they had a male child, they would have to make a payment to Israel. So all the Israelites are getting ready for this new practice. Then all of a sudden, God says, stop. I'm going to take the Levites as my payment. You actually do not have to pay anymore for your first child. The Levites will be my payment and they will be enough so that your child remains free and living. Essentially what happens is they, this one tribe becomes dedicated to the Lord. And what are they now supposed to do that they are dedicated to the Lord? They are now to work for God and the priesthood. That's all they're supposed to do. They don't have a choice. Every male that is born in the Levite tribe from ages 30 to 50, they know what their job is going to be. They're going to work for God and the priesthood. So what, the, what happens is these um, Levites actually become a blessing to Israel. So if you're following the narrative arc, the Levites are cursed, thinking that they are forever condemned. And what happens is God uses that curse, and then he flips it and then makes them into a blessing to all of Israel. And why do they become a blessing to all of Israel? One, we know that they are now the payment. Their life is now the payment for their child, so they don't have to pay. Two, they become experts of the tabernacle. So they have to go to God's tent. They have to do the furnishings. They have to make sure the veil is clean. They aid the priests in whatever they need. And we read about them today in our verses. There are the Kohites, the Gershonites, and the Merarites. And the Kohites are the priests, and the other Kohites maintain the grounds. That means the, the Levitical tribe became almost, let's say, the custodians of the tent of God. That's what they've become. Now, they have become a great blessing because as they attend to all these things, as they learn from the priests and hear the, all the directions, these people now become very familiar with the Lord and all his doings, and they're able to share it with other people. So, going back to now Joshua 21, now that you know that what the Levites are, here is what happens next. The cities are plotted out in all of Joshua chapter 21. And what you notice if you put all the cities on the map is that they are all spread out through 
the nation of Israel. Now, God didn't have to do that. God could have said, okay, where is the tabernacle? It's in Shiloh, as we read. I'm going to put all the Levites all around the tabernacle and make sure that they are doing their job diligently. I'm sure the Levites would have been thrilled. Oh, the commute is so easy. We just have to go to the tabernacle and back. It's a quick uh, one-day trek. It takes less than five hours, but God doesn't do that. He puts every city into every corner of Israel, so now they have to travel all these ways. To the north and to the way south, there are Levitical cities in which the Levite tribes reside. Why did God do that? He wanted to ensure that everyone was aware of the word of God. The main economic activities, the main thing, main people on the road were the Levites. Because now they have to go to their job, which is in the center of Israel, and they had to come from all regions of Israel to do their job. So what, what happens? They stop at different locations. They have like truck stops or whatnot, and they wait there. And people are asking, oh, where are you going? I'm going to the tabernacle. They start talking about the Lord. They start talking about how's the high priest doing. And they begin to dialogue, and everyone is now immersed into the word of God because the cities are everywhere. God is ensuring that people would have easy access to himself. God did not make a power city, did not make a powerhouse, because he wanted everyone, everyone who is working to have ex easy access to the word of God. We talked about the cities of refuge, how they would have easy access to justice. But more than justice, God wanted to make sure that everyone had access to his word. And so the Levites were now living all throughout Israel. They have truly become a blessing to that whole nation. And this is God's M.O. This is now how God is going to operate. And we see that God will continue to work in this way. And what way are, am I talking about? Is that he takes curses and then makes them into the blessings for his people. God takes curses, doesn't ignore them, doesn't try to erase them, but he takes the curse and makes it into a blessing. And that's important for us to know. Because in Christianity, as we live our life, we are sinners. We've messed up. We've been into situations where we didn't ask for it, but it has been our curse. We didn't look for a bad situation, but sometimes we were born into it, we fell into it, and we feel this burden upon us. And sometimes we feel hopeless. God can't use a sinner like me. But here God is saying, no matter the curse or the situation, I will use it to bless others. Now listen to me. I'm not saying that there is a reason for your pain. I'm not saying that God is trying to teach you. We don't know why certain evil things happen to us or why we're born into certain situations. We just don't know. And there's not an easy explanation for some of the pain that we experience. But I can assure you this. God is going to take that pain and use it to bless others. That is God's MO. And if you don't believe me, all we have to do is look at his son, Jesus Christ. Jesus was cursed from the time he was born. He knew his destiny. He knew what was going to happen. He knew that he was going to pay the penalty 
for our sins from the moment he was born. But what does the New Testament say? It says, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Here is a cursed man, Jesus. And what happens to that curse? He dies on the cross, and what does God do? He flips it and makes it a blessing to the whole world. That is what we see happening as God takes the Levites and makes them into a blessing for the rest of the whole world. It is God continually participating in the art of spiritual jiu-jitsu. That is what's happening, and it happens all throughout Scripture. Any person who is cursed, any person who seems that they're out and for the count, God takes that curse, doesn't erase it, but uses it for his glory and for the blessing of others, culminating in Christ himself. This is why we praise our God, and this is why we give thanks to him. But that's not the point of the distribution of the cities. The point of it is this. What does Christ make us after he resurrects from the dead? He makes us Christians. But Peter sees us becoming something more than just Christ followers. Peter saw Jesus and his people for what they truly have become. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. He says, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. We have become the spiritual Levites. We are now from that spiritual clan, and we have all become priests in the eyes of God. And what is God doing? Spreading us out. There is no epicenter of Christianity. Israel has been a blueprint of how God had foreordained his kingdom to always be. All throughout the world, proclaiming the word of God to the whole world, not just to one place. God wants his people to be everywhere. Why? So that people can have easy access to God himself. This is why churches are so passionate about church planting and missionaries. This is the cry of God that everywhere would be churches so that people could easily access God himself and give him all the praise and glory. That they wouldn't have to strain themselves going to different nations or different parts of the world. That God himself would be wherever people resided. This it was God's plan from the very beginning. That the Levites would be all over the world. Now we have Christians going back and forth, all spread out through the nation, hoping that we would now be the life source of the world. In that, wherever we may be traveling, wherever where we may be, we would be sharing the word of God to the entire nation. We are the royal priesthood to exclaim the excellencies of God and what he has done for us. Joshua chapter 21, as you were reading it, might have fell asleep or thought this is boring, but it was the blueprint, the plan of missions. 
Joshua 21 is all about missions and what God wanted to do with his people. He never wanted to give us land. And that's why as Protestants, we are not fighting over land. There is no holy land for us. Our inheritance is not this earth. It is Christ himself. Just like the Levites. The Levites had no land. They were not promised anything. What is, what is said over and over again is this. That their inheritance was the Lord's. That's our inheritance. Our true home is in heaven. We need to stop fighting over land. We need to stop fighting over political empires and all those things. Because none of that is ours. We don't touch it. Our main thing is plant churches, dwell in other towns and cities, and proclaim the name of God to the nations so that all might come to believe and praise his name. It's fascinating how our God operates. It's always refreshing to see that God is the awesome architect, the great designer. There are no mistakes in his kingdom. And I hope that brings comfort to you because oftentimes we will sin and we will fail and we will feel a tremendous amount of guilt. And while there has to still be um, justice needs to ensue, we can be comforted by this. That even though we've messed up and even though we think we've destroyed everything, God will use it for his kingdom and for his glory. And we can be assured of that. Brothers and sisters, I hope that you would find Joshua 21 encouraging. Knowing that from the beginning of time, God had a plan, and everything, everything is going to come to pass according to his glory. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are our God. We thank you that you are our king and our great architect. We pray, O oh God, that you would send your people forth into the whole world so that we can proclaim the excellencies of you who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. God, may you receive all the glory and honor. And may we just worship you all around the world. We thank you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.